Episode number five. Uh, we got together during the pandemic via Zoom to talk about introductions. Kind of ironic, I guess. Uh, quarantine in place, and here we are talking about introing elephants, getting people back together, getting elephants back together. So, for those of you that are regular listeners, we thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we hope uh, you enjoy it. If there's things you want to hear or comments you want to make about the podcast, uh, check out Packy Chat on Facebook. Leave a message. Leave us a comment. We're pretty good uh, responding and getting back to everybody. If this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We hope you listen to some old ones and uh, listen to what we have coming forward. And if you like it, tell us on Facebook and uh, tell your friends. Let's get some listeners. Uh, that'd be great. So this week, like I said, we're talking about introductions. Um, and let's just get into it. Uh, yeah, so putting elephants together, you know, I think there's something to talk about because uh, some people make more of it than, than I, I think it needs to be. But, uh, you know, it's, it's also not just an easy one-size-fits-all way to do it. So, Well, and I, for me, uh, it's about also the history of the animals because I think a lot of, I think we should talk a little bit about labeling and how people label animals as like, oh, that one's aggressive or what does fighting mean? What does aggression mean? Like everybody has their own definitions. And for me, that's where it gets a little tricky as well, because, you know, you have an animal that has a label of, oh, this one will beat up animals. But that, when's the, well, when's the last time I was with another elephant? 25 years ago? Oh, okay. Well, what does that mean? Right? Or when they get, I just saw these two elephants fighting. Well, what does that mean? So for me, it's about that as well. It's not just necessarily the physical intros but it's also the the history of the animal and looking at like what's their motivations and are they going to be that animal that they were two years ago or five years ago or 20 years ago that the last person that saw them and it, it may not even be somebody in the program it may be somebody that's not even at the program anymore that was there 15 years ago that said don't put Susie with Betsy because Susie goes after her every time well you know again what does that mean and what does that look like when they're fighting, you know? Um, so anyways, that's, I'd like to bring that up with you guys as well and just see, you guys, see how you guys feel about that. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, I think that's great, a great way to start because there's so much to it. You know, if you're doing intros because you move an elephant from one place to another, everything can change. You know, new surroundings, that might be a totally different elephant. What was dominant in one place, you move it somewhere else, it might not be. But to go back to, you about one person's interpretation. I think a lot of um, aggression, especially between elephants, sometimes we we create, we reinforce it. So, um, you know, we take food out to try to split them up. We uh, end up separating them, which might be reinforcing for one elephant or another. Um, and so our actions tend to reinforce the behavior and make it uh, make it progress. So yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Is that um, you touched on a few points there. Anytime we're looking at any kind of um, animal management plan that we have for any species, you know, we start talking a lot about their natural history. In this case here, I think we have to look at a couple of histories. You touched on uh, their background or their social history. You know, not all elephants the same. Uh, we label these elephants, and I think their labels are interpretations, but they're also a project of their environment. They, it's easy for us to uh, look at that animal and say, what it's what it's how many elephants have been around where was it born you know if elephants before that are born in a herd structure and they've grown up and they've seen other um, brothers sisters aunties they've seen mature males other juvenile males also we look at that animal's social history and that paints a picture of how why we think it's going to be successful um, so i think it's product of natural history and social history yeah i agree with that i also think for me, there's been a couple of instances, more than a couple instances, where people will ask, uh, you know, they got a new elephant or they got elephants that they need to have put together or need, need to be put together, and they'll ask how to do it. 
and, is, and I think you guys are touching on some of the considerations as far as what you would do um, based on what you know about the, the animals. But I also think there's some things that a general framework that exists, at least in my brain, of, of things, of, of a, a process, I guess, that exists regardless of which animals it is. And, and the stuff that you guys were just talking about, you know, natural history, individual history that plays into where that where it falls into you know that framework which which steps you might accelerate or skip or any of that but i think there's there's a general set of rules that regardless of you know if you know you have to put elephants together to me there's a, a general set of you know, rules and a framework that you apply um, and then as you move through the process there's information that's gained and then that sort of tells you what to do next or how fast to do it uh, or what you get, what to skip or what to make sure we include. But I think there's, um, there's also too much made of it sometimes, you know, I, there's a lot at stake clearly and animals can get hurt and, and all of that we know. But I also think sometimes we, um, we lay down so many speed bumps and we sort of uh, put so many conditions on it, we, we actually make it worse sometimes. I see the collective we make it worse sometimes. So I think part of the, the process and the development of a plan for this is what, you know, what's, what could go wrong? What are you afraid of? What's likely? What's unlikely? And, and how do you mitigate any of these things? And then that, once you sort of have all that stuff down, uh, it goes a lot quicker because we all know that there's certain things you can control, there's certain things you can't control. I think that you should put as many safeguards in safety nets that allow you to, to have some control over the situation. But, uh, but as long as you have a solid plan in place, I think, and again, I think there's uh, some experience helps too. How many, how many folks being involved in this have been around it and seen it, seen it go well or seen some go poorly. Um, and then also there's, as we talked about some other things, you also have to take the leap at some point too. You know, you have to, you have to just go with it. So all of those things to me are, are important considerations and each situation will dictate a little bit differently how you do it. But, but again, with a general set of rules that you can start to follow and tweak based on the situation. You know, it's, it's, re it's really easy just to go down the rabbit hole and play the what if game. You know, we can sit down and, and in a team meeting discuss that what if this happens, what if that happens? And you can terrify yourselves and you can actually put a situation where you're frozen and you're afraid to make a move. So, um, like you said, you, know, you have to have that framework, you have to have a discussion, but if you do spend too much time on it, you will paralyze yourself and you'd be um, very worried to make any steps forward and take a reality check. Yeah, and, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, <laughs> you know, <they're, laughs> at the end, you know, they're social animals, right? They ultimately want to be together. So, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it as well. Like we have some of the animals, you know, you take bull management, for instance, you know, some of these bulls have been to get by themselves for years and years and years. And, you know, they're social animals. So you kind of have to rip off the bandaid a little bit and say, hey, I'm going to take a chance knowing that these, these female elephants, you know, they're, they want to be social. They crave that. So they want to be in groups. It doesn't work for every animal, of course, but you, I, I agree with everything. The, the other people are saying and you know because you just have to take off the take off all the layers and just strip it down to are the are the these animals are social the likelihood of them killing each other is one percent and it's better for them if we at least try and and then what does try look like you know so does try mean five minutes oh she bumped her let's get them out of there or does try mean let them work out their issues let them work out their problems and see what it's like two weeks, a month, six months into it before you pull the plug on it. Because I think uh, somebody else touched on that as well. Is like they, you know, you see one bad thing and then oh, get them out of there, get them out of there, get them out of there. And you know, they're elephants. They're pretty resilient animals, so uh, they can be pushed around a little bit. And 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 I said this at EMA, like, you know, when you're in the moment of an intro, it always looks twenty times worse than what it actually is. You know, go back and watch the film of it or, you know, have, have somebody that has nothing to do with it, look at it. Uh, and I think it's never as bad as what you think it is. You know, and I think you can prepare yourself for that, you know, jumping back to the, to the natural history. 
Um, some people have been fortunate enough to watch elephants in their range countries, or they've worked with a herd that's um, very diverse, very dynamic, multi-generational. If we, if we look back and you could, um, a footage for in a, in a day, even if you watch a herd or animals that are for four hours, to see that you're not gonna see any pushing and shoving. You're not gonna see any displays of aggression. You can sort out by just observation who's dominant. So that stuff's gonna happen. Uh, like you said, you know, um, they, they can take that kind of stuff. The trouble is if you've never seen it before, it's a scary thing. Elephants are big, they're loud, they roar, they scream, and it, um, it makes us panic. If somehow we can prepare ourselves um, that it's gonna look bad, and somehow get your team together and maybe watch some footage if you can, so that when you see something, hopefully you're not surprised and it's not as scary as it actually looks because you've seen it in either rage countries or other herds or have talked to other people. Yeah, so going back to something that was said about working out issues, and I agree with that certainly to a certain degree for sure, it, because I, you know, I've had personal experiences where um, things had gone quote unquote poorly, but really it wasn't that big a deal. And, and frankly, some things need to be worked out. That being said, I also think there's a huge difference between, um, and, and I'm not saying that that's what was said, I'm just elaborating on, on this point, is that when, when you know, we say th some things need to be worked out, it also doesn't mean not having a framework, not setting up a process and not setting up a plan and just throwing the gates open and see what happens. I also, you know, that's, that's not acceptable. I think there's, you know, we say, we've heard this term a thousand times and sometimes we overuse it, but being set up for success is important. So like I talked about earlier, having the plan, having the safeguards, having the safety nets, having the, the exit ramps and, a, and an exit plan is important, but also, um, you know, also having a clear expectation of what you want to happen or what you don't want to happen. And even bigger than that, is when to when to call it you know the kenny rogers when to hold and when to fold and things so you know there are certain things that we want to see certain things we don't want to see but to me the time on the clock or how long animals have been together is not important to me the timing of of uh how long they've been together and what we've seen and frankly what we haven't seen is the most important thing so the when to when to end it end it on a good note you know we hear these things all the time it's important but if that means it's a, a couple of minute intro or if that means it's a you know 30 minute intro to me the, there's no success in in the elapsed time of of the in, of the specific intro as you work up to potentially being together all the time for me is going into this with what do you want to see what, what, what's important to see, what's important not to see, or what do we need to be worried about if we do see these things, and then how far do we let it go? So it's just as important as when to end it as when to begin it. And, and also when we talked about how stressful it is in the moment, I had a, a personal experience where I watched um, a video of, of a couple of animals that I knew uh, that currently, you know, that weren't really, sh that weren't sharing space. And I had heard the stories about how, you know, they don't get along and all, all this stuff. And so finally I went back and watched the video and I was surprised at, uh, it wasn't great. I mean, there's no question it wasn't great, but it also wasn't anything I would be uh, concerned about either one of the animal's safety. So the good news was, is that I think, you know, taking yourself, being not being there in the moment, taking yourself out of it, looking at it, you know, a third party, and then understanding that there is more to work with there and there is some potential for those animals to go back together and, and you know, I don't know how great it's gonna be or if they can live together 24 seven or live together for one period of time. But I think also, you know, getting yourself out of the moment, they are stressful, they are, um, there's a lot of adrenaline and a lot of nerves, anxiety with some of these things. So I agree that showing it to somebody else or pulling somebody in from outside, um, or certainly to review in Monday morning quarterback how things went to figure out what your next steps are going to be are really important too. You know, I, I, I kind of think there's like two, two, two teams of thought. You know, there's the people that uh, wait too long to put elephants together. Um, we talk about it, you know, at PEM and stuff about the fence, fence talking. So we have people that are afraid to do intros and they look for everything to be just right before they put them together which sometimes causes issues when they finally do pull the gate. And then you got the people that put them together too soon. Um, and to kind of go along with what was just said, putting them together too soon is one aspect of it. But, but I, I've seen lately, at least, people put them together and they don't take them apart. It's kind of, we just let them work it out, which I agree completely. 
let them work it out to an extent, but sometimes you got to understand uh, exactly what's going on. And for some of these places, it's um, it's young, usually young males, because that seems to be what's moving around more than anything right now. And you put them into these groups, and they kind of get bullied for a little bit or pushed around a little bit. And then when they get a little size or get some confidence on them, they, they kind of go back at those females. That's an instance where I think, um, you know, letting the herd gang up on, you know, ganging up on them and just waiting to see what happened doesn't always work out. You mentioned that, um, you know, when to pull a gate. Um, you know, a lot of people discuss, well, why do you pull a gate? Um, what were you seeing? I think everybody's been talking about behavior and their interpretation of elephant behavior and whether they think that was appropriate behavior to take the next step. I think it's important to realize that we have a lot of influence um, that we can use to dictate and shape and direct behavior. Um, you know, ideal situation, the elephants are together, they have howdies, they get to know each other, they like each other, and they go together. And you're fortunate situation where, you know, how can you influence behavior? Um, we can go back to training theory as well. Reinforce good behavior, ignore and possibly punish bad behavior. You know, we, um, I've been in situations before where we've built alliances between elephants and there's been two different mechanisms that we've done that before. As we all talk about, we've heard the phrase cooperative feeding. You know, I've had elephants before that as soon as they went side by side, they went at, at each other. When behavior calmed down and they came to the keepers, we reinforced that behavior. What we noticed after a period of time is that the behavior, the elephants were still going at each other, but the game was when they got put in this situation, they looked for an opportunity for reinforcement. Then I saw the elephants going at each other, but it was less, it was less intense. It was for a less period of time. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like they forgot why they were going at each other and they would be looking for elsewhere. So we directed their behavior in order to um, take their attention away from each other. And I was quite wondering, like, I was skeptical. I didn't think that was actually going to work. I heard this cooperative feeding, but I've been two or three times has actually worked quite well, where we actually redirected behavior um, just through little training sessions associated with the intro. I agree, I agree. And I think that's all part of the, part of the plan and part of the framework. You know, I like, I alluded to earlier, I had, you know, I've had people ask me to help them over the phone, you know, advice about how to put elephants together. And again, like I said, without knowing the animals, there's certain things I, I can share and certain things I can't. So, you know, so there's, there's certain things that you can help with over the phone and certain things that you can't, but some of the things that, that talking about, um, I think are helpful. And those are, those are all part of the, those are all part of the plan. So that again, the cooperative feeding and, you know, the howdies. And again, we always talk about howdies and frankly, the howdies should be, you know, percentage wise in an intro, the howdies should be a tiny, tiny portion of it because we always talk about how that can actually process and, and get you results that you don't want. By well, prolonging that, things. Yeah. And I think that that's why in this podcast or to this audience, we're not going to tell you, oh, do a howdy for three days. And then when you do the howdy for three days, then you do the, because every situation's different. Every animal's different. Um, cooperative feeding may work in some situations and it may not in others. So again, it's about the feel and the experience and, and the troubleshooting and the plans and everything you have to be pro, as proactive as you can when it comes to putting animals together. Because as we all know, there's no one-stop shop or document you can follow X, Y, Z. Uh, to get animals together. How much of that do you think was cooperative feeding? And how much of that do you think that was just time spent together with those animals? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I can't say, it'll be guesswork. It, it, was, uh, it could have been one huge coincidence or it could have been 100% the cooperative feeding. Um, I believe that, um, I think it helped because I saw the behavior um, have a decent decline, but I, I think what I saw with the elephants is their, their focus changed. They, they have an, a reason to focus on something else as opposed to each other. So I think that the reason why I think that there is a percentage of it, a, a decent percentage of it that did work is because with the absence of that, I think they'd be focusing more on each other, giving them another option to focus and direct their behavior to, I think influenced that. Um, we would let them 
There's times we step up, there's times we step back. And the reaction when we step back changed throughout the process. Sometimes they went right back to each other because there was nothing else to direct. Or what I think is that what we offered them behaviorally was more valuable to them. So they still looked for us. Um, so I think it's a combination of both. You know, it for, for sure it didn't happen overnight. It was many, many, many sessions as well. So I think that it helped, but I can't say for sure. But the only thing I could say for sure is that it was a combination of both. Yeah, so, you know, I have a little bit of experience doing cooperative feeding specifically with elephants. I've done it with uh, chimps once and uh, some other primates. But to go back to what was said, yeah, I, w I wonder how much of it was, was time spent together. But also, you know, when I, when I talk about getting an animal in a crate that, or a shoot or doing things it doesn't want to do, I like to take its, take its mind off of the task and just focus on me. So like if I wanted to go in a crate or a shoot and move it up, you back it up before it even stops or shows resistance. And you move it up a little further, back it up, do this whole little thing, and it stops worrying about the threshold and starts paying attention to you. So when we do cooperative feeding, I kind of look at that too. I don't, it's not about aggressive or naughty thoughts with, with another elephant. It's about time spent with me and refocusing and redirecting their energy and their attention. And not only that, when I did the cooperative feeding with elephants, I gave it a, a specific spot, you know, so each elephant had a station or such to go to, but we, we'd hang something on the cable and that was it. And then uh, they know that when they're in this location, good things happen. Um, and we didn't worry too much about breaking up stuff that happened outside of this, but when they came back, uh, redirecting their attention in this space and totally forgetting about the shit that goes on around them. And again, I don't know that it, you know, what one thing you can attribute it to, but we had success with it. Uh, was a pretty dominant and aggressive elephant um, that, that really chilled out over time. She was still dominant on a lot of things, but she just chilled out uh, with these other elephants. So going back to what was said a minute ago, that so that just as an example of the cooperative feeding and all those kind of things, I think there's there's a list of things and there's a you know basically a list of tools at your disposal when you do these things. I think and everybody needs to know what is available to them. So when we talk, you know, again when we when we've talked to other people about this or counsel them or you know give advice or whatever, you know, regardless of our uh, familiarity with the situation understanding the different tools that you have at your disposal and how to use them, um, how much to potentially use them. Again, I, I, like I've said, I, I can't tell you that this is an art, you know what I mean? And if you're doing art, right, you know, this is, there's not a science to this. I wish there was, because it'd be a lot easier. No, knowing what you have available to you is important, I think, and uh, so that you don't negate any of the potential tools and things that have worked in the past. But also, the, as we've said, the, the appropriate proportions of each are also uh, extremely important. So when you go through this process, again, some of the, some of the general guidance, I think, are, are, is important um, because that can help. Regardless of the situation, it can help. You can always change things as you go. But, uh, you know, I've seen some classic sort of trip-ups uh, over my career and both that I've experienced in uh, I've seen others experience and I think that there's a it's a, it's important to know kind of what you what you want to do and your goals but again if you don't have all the information and you don't know exactly what like for instance if somebody's never heard of cooperative feeding well what is that what does that mean and also part of it is is the timing so if somebody hears hey cooperative feeding hey well I heard cooperative feeding that's the way to go and you know there's been times where I'm like listen there's times where we will feed during this intro and there are times we should absolutely not feed during this intro so that the elephants can you know concentrate on each other and um and pay attention to each other rather than be either distracted by the resources which will prolong this because they they're no longer paying attention to each other or if you have animals that are particularly dominant or resource guarding or any of that sort of stuff can actually pollute what you're trying to do so that's and that and that's the same for everything that's the same for the gates and the fences and that's the same for you know a lot of the different things so it's just having a, a general understanding of what your goals are the different tools that you have available at your disposal and then how to properly apply them potentially and that and again i think that comes from uh a collaborative approach to all the folks that are going to be participating in this but also reaching out to people that have that have done it before because they're all different and it doesn't mean that I'm going to have similar um, 
positive experiences or even similar negative experiences. So that's why I think it's important to reach out. And, I, and I, I'm pretty sure that I've reached out to at least one person in this group when, when I was talking about putting uh, some of our knuckleheads together again. And we have, we have more work to do on that. So, um, but it, a lot of it's trial and error. But I think if you have some good information and a plan, it helps immensely. And I think, I think the howdies tell you a lot too. I mean, I think if you really look at those and see the behavior when it comes to the howdies, it, it tells you a lot too. So then you, you know where, how quick, quick you can go, whether you need to do cooperative feeding, whether you don't. So I, I put a lot of stock in what that looks like, you know, those first few days. Um, is there submissive behavior? Is there dominant behavior? What does that look like um, in the howdy? And that'll tell you a lot as far as when you do open the door what you need to be set up to do you know yep and that's the one thing too is the howdies can be deceiving especially the longer they go on you know as anim as animals start to form their relationships we want i want them to be doing that largely in in the same physical space right safely um i don't want them to start forming relationships with with physical barriers in the way and then they have to work through all those sort of faults assumptions they made about each other and we made about them once you, once you pull the barriers away that's that's why i was saying earlier that framework is generally, you know a howdy situation is generally a shorter situation. yeah i couldn't agree more i mean if i see positive stuff uh with howdies then then it goes way 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 quicker you know um, yeah but also you know, i think it's also important to, to attempt as best we can to communicate to the animals what is happening not, hey, this is what we're doing today. Um, and then the door, you know, the door gets thrown open and you throw a bunch of anxiety and nervousness and, you know, surprise into them. But part of it is, is that the process tells them, this is what we do now. And then this is what we're going to do next. And when we start to do this, that means, you know, that this elephant and, and these, well, these elephants may be part of the mix. And then at some point, you're able to communicate to them when uh, shared space is going to happen so that they're not surprised. You know, I love everything that we've been talking about, um, you know, setting a plan and, and trying to read their behavior and send them up to succeed. Uh, one question I have for you guys is that another part of this um, intro thing that everybody talks about is what do we consider when it comes to who they get introduced first? What's, what are the steps between if you have multiple elephants? You know, what are some of the things you guys consider when we talk about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I, and, and I don't think it's a black and white answer, just like everything we've said, you know, I think some people are going to introduce it to a more dominant animal. Some people are going to introduce it to a more subordinate animal. Uh, it plays into a little bit on, on what goes on at the fence for me. Um, a little bit on the history of the elephant. Is it already a dominant elephant? Is it already a submissive elephant? Um, like before it came or before we did these introductions. Um, but man, there's just, for me, there's no, there's no black and white answer. And it's, it's so much is going to depend on what I see going on in the, in the herd and with the elephant. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe someone else has something that's more, uh, more concrete, but I, and that's not something I could answer just that easily. I agree. I, I think that's 100% a feel thing with the animals because <clears throat> usually the animals that you're introing, you don't really know that well either, right? <laughs> they're from another zoo or they're, you know, so, so that's where it gets more tricky for me is because uh, you're always going to lean on the side of the elephants that you've taken care of for the last uh, however many years, and the ones that you've known for a month while they were in quarantine or whatever, you know. Um, but I, I just know in the past we did an intro uh, where there was babies involved. So we really wanted the, the dominant calf protector to be able to protect, right? So that's why we, we, we set it up that way and we put, you know, the dominant one with what we thought was the dominant one of, of the animals coming in um, to let them work out that dominance first with no babies or anything involved. And then we went from there. The submissive ones were of course pretty, pretty darn easy, but um, it's when you have two perceived dominant animals um, and then when there's babies around, that's a whole nother thing. But I, I think that's another thing people don't think about. It's just, you know, usually the ones you're introing, you don't know the other half of the story that well. So um, again, that's where you reach out to that other, that other place and, and try to figure out as much as you can about those animals. But you're not gonna know everything, you know? 
Yeah, you had on a, a couple of really good points there. The fact that you know there is a huge difference between introing an animal that just came to your facility you don't know about, or if you had a herd fracture and you had to separate some herd um, elephants for a while. Um, but midway through my career, I had lots of people say that once a, a herd breaks down or once relationships break down, you can't build them back. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, you know, it's a, a, a very different landscape. Um, trying to put elephants back together when you have a fracture herd as opposed to a new one coming together. And that plays uh, follow into what you kind of said about, um, it's interesting about that calf protector. You know, it's very important to have this little guy having someone to, to watch out and um, keep the other elephants in line, so to speak. Um, I had the same situation with adults, is that I had a herd of uh, seven elephants that were together for a very long period of time. And the, um, the most dominant one, she'd been dominant for over 20 years, um, passed on. So now all of a sudden we saw political ambitions within the herd and it got fractured. And alliances that had been a decade or two together um, were, you could see factions going off and working together to try to one-up the other faction. Um, it's kind of the same thing as about getting a protector for that, for that calf we broke down alliances and we started putting elephants together um, purposely and reinforced elephants for spending time together that normally wouldn't have. If we have the most dominant elephant um, and she kind of had the second most dominant one in line with them, um, in that situation, we looked at dynamics to see how can a herd help these elephants be successful as well. And that's a very tricky thing to do because you are, once again, it's your interpretation of the herd behavior, why they're acting that way. But I think one thing you have to look at as well is the elephants that you know do the best you can to um, put them in situations that this new elephant or this elephant that needs to be reintegrated um, can set up for success as well. Going back to the question about which animals you introduce first, I think it has everything to do with two things. One is the composition of the group. Um, as far as uh, number and you know which coalitions you know if you have two animals that you're introducing to two an multiple animals you're trying to introduce to single animals or multiple animals you're trying to uh, introduce to multiple animals I think that makes a difference um, and I also think there's different strategies you know obviously if there's calves involved or males involved but also uh, that that plays whether you go sort of up the hierarchy chain or down um, and then do you you know do you do so, do you do single animals you know, um, to, to, to grow that group into melding two groups together? Or do you do, you know, multiple uh, single animals, then multiple animals to a single animal? I mean, that's, that's the hard part, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with what you know about the animals or what you don't know about the animals as to whether you want to create separate, uh, separate relationships and then see how they weigh and how they sort of, uh, balance out when you put those relationships in a in a mixed group so for instance there's animals uh a recent example is we have an animal who's generally pretty good but um, when she gets around her mother she acts a little bit differently because then her mother acts a little bit differently so her you know her mother might have a different um social uh quotient as far as her how good she is with other animals which which pollutes or potentially pollutes this otherwise good animal when she's not with her mother. Does that make sense? So when, when you start adding and pulling animals out of the mix, it can actually change what, uh, how animals act. You know, a, a generally good animal can, can go south and a generally decent animal or, or a generally bad animal um, could be better if you just change the circumstances or change the amount or, or sever some, I don't know, codependent relationships. I don't know if that's a good word for elephants or not. But anyway, I, I think the composition of the group and, and, and the goals, uh, weighs heavily on your strategy whether you go up or down the hierarchy and what what individuals you do first second or together yeah i i agree with that completely and uh there's just so much that goes into this and and i hate that to even put stuff out there because so many times things that are said people just take for black and white oh well they said this and 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 don't realize that it's kind of a uh a fluid process and uh, not only is it fluid, but just because we did it one way with one elephant at our facility doesn't mean that we're going to do the exact same thing with different elephants at the same facility or even same elephants um, at a different facility. It just doesn't work that way. So I just don't, I want to make sure that whatever we say, everybody understands the fact that 
this is there's not a one size fits all approach to this and and even though people have success it's, it's often you know the exact same success might not be repeatable yeah and that's why i said earlier i think it's important to know the strategies that you can employ you know that other others have used whether they were you know supremely successful or not isn't necessarily uh, that important as long as you know that there are all the strategies that you might have. So that's why it's hard to, again, this is not something you could do over a, over a phone call or a zoom meeting or something, you know, talk about how we're going to put elephants together. Some of it has to happen. You have to have a certain familiarity with the individuals, uh, animals, and also the individuals on um, humans that are managing this process. So that's, that's the hard part. But again, I think the most important thing is to let people under, understand and, and um, you know, put out there everything that potentially might be available. And we have not done that on this conversation either. It's just things that we generally use that are relatively common and have had some success. And each, each individual situation is gonna dictate, a, perhaps dictate a different strategy and different use of those tools. Yeah, and I, I again, I agree. So what, what is it that we're looking for that would make us um, you know, pull the plug? Hopefully, we pull the plug before, you know, we start, we stop the process before we have to stop the process. You know, um, someone talked early on about, you know, um, it's not necessarily about time together. You know, if things are going well, it doesn't hurt to separate them uh, before you have to separate them, you know, and uh, make them want to go back together maybe. But if, if, um, if we open the gate and things go south, what are we looking for that tells us, um, we should intervene or we should separate them or uh, we need to change our strategy. What are some things that you guys look for that dictates those things? Well, I think as soon as you start to see behaviors that you didn't want to see, I think that should, you should start being able to refer back to the plan that you made prior to starting the process. So ideally, you know, you're going to have animals get together and they're going to get along like peanut butter and jelly. That would be fantastic. If that doesn't happen, as soon as you start seeing things that you are, you know, that could concern you or behaviors that you don't like as to whether or not they can work it out, this is all part of the next, the next uh, decision in the chain. And hopefully it aligns with a plan that you came up with. So for me, as soon as you start seeing things you don't like, you have to start in the moment and in the, you know, and, and start trying to foreshadow as best you can with the rest of the folks being involved is what are you, what are we going to do next? Because we don't, that that's not good. Or you call out the things that are good. And then you, I've had conversations during, during the intro, you know, we're talking to each other and we're sort of shouting, maybe shouting across the yard and Hey, that's good. Or, Hey, what are you thinking? Okay, good. I like that. Or, Hey, let's try this or let's try that. You know, during some of that, but none of that is brand new information. All of the stuff that starts getting, conveyed and things that we may do or not do are all part of the plan hopefully usually it's all part of the plan whether it, these are good things that we're seeing or potentially bad things that we're seeing right so but what is again i agree but what what is that because i think sometimes people i guess maybe don't know what they're looking at you know chasing is that a bad thing you know if elephants are chasing one another um you know if there's going to be some pushing what what are what are some red flags and 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 i understand that um some of this might be elephant dependent but there has to be some red flags that are um just hey if this happens we're pulling the plug yeah because i look at this and saying that um what do we not don't want to see i think that's great to have that list um but there's also many levels of that behavior. You know, everybody say we don't want to see any aggression so the first signs of aggression that's not what we want to see um for me, I would look at, you know, both sides of the coin. There's um, one elephant that is, let's say, dominant over the other and it's eliciting certain behaviors. It also depends on how that elephant is reacting to that behavior as well. If, they're, if they are showing appropriate signs of what we think, of what we think the um, elephant should be doing, showing signs of I'm submissive, um, um, back off, that type of thing. And if they're not talking to each other, responding appropriately, that's when I'll step out. So I'd want to intervene. I see one elephant showing um, great signs of submission, all kinds of species appropriate behavior, saying that, okay, I understand, you're the boss, I'm backing down, 
I'm not going to be a threat to you. And that elephant keeps going. That lead me toward a direction saying that, okay, you know, this elephant's showing appropriate behavior, but that one is not responding to it. This is where we might have to intervene. If the elephants um, are both being aggressive toward each other and not one's backing down, that might look me and say, okay, well, now these are both working um, behavior. They're both appropriate behavior, both showing aggression, but we need to see one that eventually responds to the other. So I think that's what I'd look into and see in that. Um, are they reading each other and are they responding to each other with their behaviors? I mean, it's so much a, uh, a dialogue between, you know, the elephants, between the staff and all that, that needs to get put together. You know, I think some people just want a plan to follow, you know, a black and white plan. Yeah, but it's so tough because, you know, I was trying to think in my head, like, where would I stop it? Right. So, you know, I've I've let animals chase. I've let animals bump. I've let animals do all of that. I think the, the few times we have stopped it is when. Um, it goes beyond that, you know, you get an animal that's uh, lateral or something like that, you know, that they're so submissive that they're like, okay, I'll just lay down for this other animal and the other animal takes advantage of it. Those are the types of things that I look for. Um, because again, I, and maybe I'm too light with it, but pushing and shoving and bumping and things like that, um, you know, we'll even put up with an animal uh, going down to a stretch for, for a second, right? Um, and showing submission, but then popping back up. If they don't, you know, then that's obviously alarming for me. Um, but, you know, I, you know, this is probably a bad analogy, but, you know, I have two boys and I know when to, I know when to tell them to quit, you know, um, but you got to let them wrestle a little bit and you got to let them, you know, shove on each other and push around. Um, but it's just a feel thing for me as well, you know, working with these animals for so long. You said something that was interesting to me is that, you know, if an elephant goes into a, a stretch for a short period of time, we might, we might let it do that. And I agree because I think some, some elephants, um, they're waiting for another elephant to be a little more submissive to them. And, uh, and that might be what the more dominant elephant, that might be the signal that that elephant needs to, to kind of say, okay, we, we got it now. You're my bitch and, and we can move on. Yeah, well, part of it, too, is that, you know, there's there's a certain amount of tussling and pushing and shoving that is expected. And there's been times where um, we've made decisions about not trying to introduce elephants because we don't think that the normal, the quote unquote normal amount or expected amount of tussling is anything that's good for that particular animal. So absolutely, we expect some of that stuff. And I, I mean, I would say you know, when do you pull the plug is, you know, if you, if you're, if you're seeing a level of aggression that starts to say, Hey, you know, this animal's welfare is in jeopardy here, you know, or it could be injured or psychologically thrown for a loop for a long time. I think that's when you start saying, Hey, we, that's where we got to cool it. But that being said, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, if things get too hot and heavy, you can't pull the plug. So that's why I keep harping back on the plan is that, you know, a lot of good pre-work and being proactive about how this is happening can help because, you know, we've all been in situations where you're like, uh-oh, this is going south and I don't know, whether it's elephants or otherwise, this is going south and I don't know what I can do to fix this right now. Um, so obviously as much you can do ahead of time to make it, make it work or keep uh, aggression within acceptable parameters, that's good. I, I've, we've also had introductions where the animals ignore each other to such a degree that we don't know what we just did. We have no idea where we are, you know, after we did a particular introduction than before we did, frankly, because they ignored each other to the point where we have almost no more information. Now, that being said, happy, happy that nobody's kicking the crud out of each other, but at the end of it, we don't know if we're any better off or not. And it didn't give us any uh, confidence to say, hey, let's, let's leave them together for three hours because we also don't, the information didn't tell us that that's going to be a good idea either. So that's, that's the other side of the coin is, you know, how successful was this introduction when we really don't have much more information? It could be great. It could be considered a great thing, but also, you know, hopefully we do, as we do introductions and we build up duration and build up time together, it's because we've gotten information. So some of these that are a little bit potentially devoid of information, I mean, certainly the, the, the general ignorance of each other is information, but it's not necessarily as valuable as if you have, um, if you know where you stand a little bit better after you've done it. 
let's say you separate elephants because you, you made a comment about, um, you know, things don't go, they don't follow the plan or, you know, we're seeing things that we talked about. Um, what does, what does the next step look like? You know, do you try again tomorrow? Do you change something and try again tomorrow? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, what does it look like to move forward after that? I think, I don't know. I, the question is, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But what I would say is, is that we would start as we start the process of introducing again, and we've sort of laid down the groundwork of what this process looks like, because we're trying to be informative to the animals about, hey, guys, this is what we're doing now. We're going we're gonna to do this again. We can start taking cues off of the behavior that happens before we even get to the point where we put them, you know, do the intro again. So that's something that we can use whether and we can gauge whether that was truly a positive thing or if it was perceived as potentially negative how negative was it if we start seeing anxiety and nervousness as we start leading up and you know keepers are coming out and bringing food and getting near gates and hydraulic pumps are firing up we can we can get some cues from that but if they're uh you know but i think it's it, there's some repetition to it um but i think that it's a it's a trial and error i think you gotta you gotta try again um you may tweak things and depending on what you saw gives you the opportunity to, to change your plan as you go. But also, you know, as I said, we might get to the point where we're starting to put these animals together again. And we're like, hold on, time out. We're, hold on, let's not do this. We're seeing A, B, or C that's, that's changing my plan already. And then we get together and start that way. So it's, it's an ever evolving process. And the trick is everybody's got to be fluid enough to know that we got to change things at a moment's notice. And, and, and like I said, the plan is the plan, but the off ramps are part of the plan and the potential change is a part of the plan. It's, it, it's, it's constant. It's got to be constant. Which doors to open, which doors to close, which, you know, how to get animals together, how to get them apart. So again, I, I think a lot of it is just based on the, um, the proactive nature of how to do these and trying to account for all the scenarios, which is difficult sometimes, but I think it's important to try to lay all these things out. One is so that people um, who may not, may or may not have much experience can have something to attach themselves to and understand even in the, in light of a process or something that's uh, looking a little unfamiliar or strange or potentially concerning is that you, the framework will help steer you through it. And everybody has a job, you know, that everybody has a job and that's the one thing that you should stick to and anchor yourself to so that we know um, if we have to enact this plan or you have, we have to enact your portion of the job, that's most important. And then we always have an after action and sort of a powwow after to talk about how it went, what we liked, what we didn't like, and what we might change for next time. You know, I think that's a really, really tough question. You know, if it goes bad, what do you do? You know, one school of thought would be, well, that was no good. Um, we can't do that again, because why would we expect anything different if we repeat the same scenario? Another school of thought, you think that, well, it didn't happen at this time. There could have been other factors that we are unknown of, unknown to us that made this particular scenario not work. I think with anything like we're doing with, it, with um, approximating any kind of behavior is that, you know, when you change the criteria, when you take your plan and throw it out, I think that has been part of that framework and the plan and discussing. And like you said before, it all depends what happens. If you're looking for a black and white answer, if it doesn't go right, switch to plan B. When that doesn't go to switch to plan C, I think you have to have a discussion of why plan A didn't work and then try to dictate that it, the best course of action might be to repeat plan A again. Um, it's not automatic going to B or not automatically sticking to plan A. One question that keeps up coming in the intros I've done before is that, where do we do it? Is it better to do it in a scenario such as inside a barn where we could have quote unquote, more control over the situation. And there's some positive and negatives associated with that. Or is it better to do it at another place where we, may, we might sacrifice our control, but we may sacrifice, um, we might gain a better facility where the elephants have more space. What are your thoughts on that? I, well, well, I think it just depends on your facility. If you, have a, if you have an inside facility where you're gonna have a lot more control, but there's dead ends everywhere, um, you know, it's just, that's just not a good idea, right? Where somebody could get trapped. So you may tend to want to do it outside where you're going to have less control, but at least the animals have more freedom to, to get away. 
Um, we would we would always do them inside first, but we had a great setup for intros, the way that it was designed, lots of runarounds, lots of escape spots, um, places for animals to go and be on the other side of a wall or bollards, but still be in together, you know, places like that. Um, so we would always do them inside just so we could keep the control uh, and then graduate to them outside. But I think it just 100% depends on your setup and your ability to separate animals and and be able to to do it functionally we we try to start inside um uh and then we for our setup we always moved to uh, a holding yard that we had kind of almost 360 degree access to uh well granted there were spaces in the middle where we couldn't get to elephants um we could still we still had a lot more access than we did inside and uh you know sometimes that space is is better give that animal uh, someplace to get away if they need to. Uh, you know, we're having this conversation right now with, with Hofstock, um, uh, and it, it's the exact same conversation. It's, uh, you know, we howdy them in the barn so that they can get nose to nose and see what they do with each other, and then we move them out into, into a little bigger space. But again, for our setup, we don't do the yard, but that's because our holding yards just seem to, to work better. You know, putting, to me, putting them in the yard is kind of like ripping the band-aid off and seeing what happens because you don't have a lot of control but sometimes you know if that's all you got that's what you got to do because we we said earlier and, and we hear it in pm that you know if you do it too much behind the gate um you know you can create uh more aggression than if you uh just put them together yeah and one other thing to elaborate on just a little bit for anybody who's listening to this just to be clear when we say and i think i speak for you guys when we say having control over a situation doesn't mean dictating all the behaviors it more means how to a prevent uh injury you know and to be able to put out a fire that might be started you know figuratively speaking and also to have some quote-unquote control over reinforcing and promoting the things we want to see and limiting the things we don't want to see so i I, you know when we say control it doesn't mean managing every aspect of it it just means having um the ability to do what we need to do uh if we have to, or if we potentially want to. Well, that'll conclude another episode of Packy Chat. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Once again, Packy Chat is just about some conversation. Uh, Hopefully maybe let you think about things and uh, we certainly don't push an agenda or tell you how to do things. Uh, We just share our experiences and our opinions and you can take what you want, leave what you don't. And that's kind of how we roll. So for those of you that listened, thanks a bunch. Tell your friends if you liked it. Uh, I guess tell your friends if you didn't like it, but, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us and, uh, hopefully we'll get something good coming next week. Thanks again. (laughs) 